Thank you, Anthony. Good morning. God bless you. Hey, it's great to be here. Uh, as you know, these three weeks we have uh, something a little different, talking about unity in the church. And somebody came up with the idea that we should rotate the pastors and the preachers around so you get uh, a little feel just to hear a different voice and emphasize the fact that there's unity. We have uh, 27 locations in Chicagoland uh, and several international, but it's too hard to bring them up here. So, hey, it's easier to move around in Chicagoland, right? So uh, I wound up having a chance. I don't normally preach, but someone else was on the schedule to be here. They couldn't be here. They said, hey, could you fill in at Montclair? And I said, absolutely. I would love to go there. Uh, I've known a number of you. Love you guys and been here before. So it's a blessing to be here. Uh, let me say uh, I love Pastor Lewis and his wife. It's great to serve with them, and we see them. Uh, my wife's in the pastor's wives group. She knows her through that a lot, and I uh, talk to him a lot and uh, love a lot of things about him. Um, not the most important thing, but I do like the fact that he's a Sox fan. That's pretty good, right? So it's, I know, okay, never mind. But normally I will tell you this. Normally I, I see him wear more often Bears gear. That's that's kind of the, the when Pastor Lewis is in a meeting, that's often what he's wearing. I enjoy talking a little sports with him. But he's a man of God and a uh, great family, so I'm glad they're here it's a blessing to be able to pinch hit for him today. Uh, as Anthony mentioned, I'm at Midway and an associate role. I, I get to work with small groups, which I love. Um, whole long story, I came to Christ at age 18, wound up at New Life. Uh, the Lord led me here, which is a whole amazing thing, and was able to be involved in a lot of different areas of ministry. And really believe that as you get to know people, uh, it really helps you to connect and last in the Christian life. And I felt like that was where I really fit in, that we would help people move from being a visitor to being uh, an attender, but then to being involved in relationship, serving, and using their gifts, uh, whatever it is. And so that's, that's something I get to put a lot of time into. By the way, let me mention one other person who leads a group here. I became good friends with him when he was at Midway for a long time, Brother Julian. And always good to see him, Ju Julian, who leads the CR ministry. We talk a lot and we actually became prayer accountability partners uh, years ago, which is so important. If you don't have someone like that in your life, I would encourage you to look for that. It takes time to get to know someone and uh, feel like you can really open up in those areas. But uh, years ago, I realized Julian was a man who has real insight into the way our minds work, our hearts. And he likes to talk about those things. He's a great listener. So we talk a lot. And uh, it's a blessing uh, to work with him. So glad to bring a message to you today. And uh, like I say, it's a chance to just hear a different voice, uh, God's grace works through all different types of people, right? And so I like to walk around a little bit if that's okay. So the good thing, too, about having a guest speaker is if you don't like this message, I won't be back next week, okay? So it's, it's all right. It's not that bad. You can handle it one time. I like to joke a little bit. I hope that's okay. But this message is titled, Jesus is Underrated. Something I've been thinking about for a little while. And so uh, when I had it, found out I would have a chance to speak here, I wanted to talk to you about this. As Christians, we're followers of Christ, but sometimes we can have a view of Jesus that really is less than reality. I've had these types of conversations for decades with people, people that uh, come out of different religious backgrounds, and I grew up that way myself, attending church, but not understanding really who Jesus was and how I could relate to him, how he could be in my life. And so I've always had these conversations with people that seem like they're so close. They, they understand a few things. They have a high respect for Jesus and the Bible, and yet so far from experiencing him. One man at Midway recently told me a story which kind of gives a picture of it. He said he grew up in the southwest side, 
and in a Catholic family that had a traditional view of things, uh, but he really didn't understand the full picture of the gospel. It was just kind of a ritual to him, go to church here and there. And when he was a teenager, he said his family said, we're going to go on a trip and visit some relatives in Mexico. So he said he was 15. Uh, they went to Mexico. And those relatives, uh, well, they picked him up at the airport. I think this is before Uber and Lyft, right? So they picked him up at the airport. And they said, before we take you home, we're going to stop at the church and pray. And he thought that was kind of strange. But wow, this family's really religious, really spiritual. So they went to the church they were a part of. And they came in there, all the relatives, and they stopped at one statue and someone prayed for a blessing over their relatives and their trip at this statue representing a certain saint. Then they went to another statue and they prayed there. And he was waiting and he said as a teenager, he really didn't enjoy this, but he just went through with it. He had to. And so they went to another statue. Finally, they came to the front of the church and there was a statue of Jesus. And the picture of him, like so many pictures, was of Jesus with his arms stretched out in pain, agony, uh, representing his death on the cross. But he said a strange thing. Nobody prayed. Everyone was silent. They looked at the statue. Finally, one of his aunts said one word, pobrecito. Now, when he told me this, I, I had to ask him, hey, what does that mean? I'm an English-only speaker, even though I've been on the southwest side a long time. So I said, what does that mean? He said it means poor baby or poor thing. He said sometimes it's used for a child. He said when they're uh, acting like they're all having a hard time, kind of a term of endearment. But other times it's used as a, a word of compassion, of pity, like that poor thing. Wow, too bad for them. They really suffered. Nobody prayed there, but then they went to the last statue, which was a big statue, a statue that looked powerful, like it could really help them. At the very front of the church, it was a statue of Mary, and they prayed for a while to Mary and asked her for help with their trip. And I thought, that represents so many people's spirituality. The pieces are there, but somehow Jesus is underrated. So when I, when I ask you to think about Jesus, what comes to your mind I thought of a few pictures, and uh, we have them here, a few of them. Uh, one of the most famous pictures of Jesus is the Last Supper painting. Way back, I believe the 1500s, Leonardo da Vinci. It's been one of the best-known paintings in history. But understand that nothing in the Bible says that Jesus looked like that or that the disciples looked like that. That is one artist's imagination. Uh, one of the most common pictures in America was a a painting made in the early 1900s uh, called The Head of Christ. And for some reason, this just took off, became a massive bestseller. I was just at a, a funeral recently, and that picture was right by the casket. You know, people tend to view Jesus looking like them. So, the you know, Leonardo da Vinci made him look a little European, Italian. This uh, artist was a, a white American, so he kind of made him look like a white American. I mean, you, you tend to view Jesus like yourself. But understand, that's not directly from the Bible. That's one artist idea of what he looked like. Uh, some people picture Jesus as a baby. And of course, this is a miracle of the incarnation, his birth of, from the Virgin Mary. And we, we celebrate that, but it can look a little different. There's churches, this is actually from a church in Spain uh, that has images of Jesus as a baby, Santo Bambino. And there's one in Mexico, uh, the divine infant, uh, like many churches, that pictures Jesus as a baby. And I used to think they were just celebrating the incarnation and Jesus' birth, but in a way, some people actually come to Jesus thinking that he's still a baby. And that's why there's this 
royal robe and crown on him like the baby has authority and power, kind of like a superhero baby. Does it strike you as a little odd? This is the way many people are taught to approach Jesus. Now, I thought of that like I've been married 29 years, met my wife at New Life uh, back in the late 80s. They didn't have Internet dating. What can I tell you? I would have used it if they had it, but they didn't have it. So uh, thankfully I met her. And uh, so we met as adults. We've obviously uh, lived our lives together. Then these years, she's a mature woman, still young, but a mature woman. Um, so my, my mother-in-law, my father-in-law passed away recently. My mother-in-law, if you go to the house, there's a picture of my wife as a baby. But I don't think of my wife as a baby. It would be really weird and creepy if I talked to her like she was a baby or imagined her like a baby. But Yet some people are taught to approach Jesus as though he were a baby. That's not in the Bible. That's a tradition. Other people think of Jesus only as being on the cross. We have to remember that, of course. The communion, we have to remember the cross or we lose the whole Christian life. But we don't want to be stuck in the past. Um, The Passion of the Christ, the movie made about 20 years ago, Mel Gibson, right? I love the movie. It brings out so much depth and really the agony of the cross. And we can have that image, which we have to remember and respect more of what Jesus went through, but realize that's not what he looks like now. And so many pictures of Jesus uh, are on the cross. uh, And again, we respect that. We remember that's where our forgiveness comes. That's where our life comes through the cross. But he's he's not there now. If you get stuck in the past, uh, you underrate Jesus. That's why you think of him as a poor figure that deserves our pity and our compassion. That's one big problem when you think of Jesus that way. You think of him just how he was in the past. One other big problem is you think of him looking like a person, and then the controversy always comes up. What did he look like? Uh, You know, we don't know how tall he was, how long his hair was, and, of course, the big controversy is what color skin did he have? And you literally have people that reject Christianity because they've been taught often it's a white person's religion. And, and I, I've suffered uh, abuse from white people, and so I reject uh, that whole idea of Jesus. But understand, the Bible never says he has had white skin. Uh, some people respond by picturing Jesus with black skin. The Bible never says he had black skin. Other people say, well, he was Jewish. He had more brown skin, but we don't know the tone of his skin. Listen, that's not the point. It's completely irrelevant. It'd be like arguing about how tall was he. Was he usually a picture of him being taller than all the disciples? Maybe he wasn't. We don't know. Maybe I like to think maybe he was five foot eight like me. But you know what? It really doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when they tell the story of Jesus, they never talk about what he looks like. You realize that? It's not an accident. It's not like they forgot to put it in there. I believe the Lord did not want them to put that in there, that we wouldn't divide over that and say, well, he looked like this. He looked like this group of people. He looked like that. No, no, no. We don't know what he looked like. There's only one place in the Bible that gives us a picture of Jesus. I want to bring you there, and it's a beautiful picture. It's the last book in the Bible, Revelation. John has this vision of Jesus, and it's Jesus in glory. After he has risen from the dead and gone into heaven. So this is what he looks like now. Listen to this. Revelation 1, starting in verse 12. This is beautiful. It says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. That represents the churches that uh, Jesus was speaking to here. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. 
The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Think about that. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. You see how far that is from the pobrecito view? How far that is? Now, again, we remember the past. We recognize the past, but we, we can't be stuck in the past. Jesus right now looks like this. So think about some of the things it says here, uh, specifically verse 16, that his face is like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Isn't it amazing? We take it for granted, but you can't even look at the sun. It's 93 million miles away, but if you look at it, you will damage your eyes. You will start to lose your sight. You can go blind if you look at the sun that far away. That's just one piece of God's creation. If you were to see Jesus, you couldn't handle it. John fell down here. We'll be blind. We would burn up. Uh, the Bible says, by the way, when we die and go into eternity, we will get a new body. This body can't handle glory. It's, it would overwhelm us like we couldn't get in a rocket and go to the sun. We'd burn up far before we got there. We'll get a new body which can handle glory. We couldn't be before Jesus. So if you think standing before Jesus is uh, like an average-looking guy or like someone in a Jesus movie or Jesus play, no, no, no. That's what he looked like back then. Now he's so overwhelming, we can't even be close to him. Uh, the, it's like the sun shining in all its brilliance. And if someone were to see Jesus now, it wouldn't be like, oh, he looks like this. Oh, that's how dark his skin was. That's how light it was. Well, he kind of looks like this. What color are his eyes? Does he look more from like he's from this country? No, no, no. That, that wouldn't be it at all. He's beyond all of that. He's in glory. He's for everyone, but he's not limited to any one group. Uh, the earthly details of how he looked are, are really irrelevant. He's in glory now. His face like the sun shining in all its brilliance. But if you know him, here's the beautiful thing. He comes to us, and like he did to John, he says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. He's almighty. He's in glory. But he says, you can come to me. Don't be afraid. And he says this, I am the first and the last, which represents the fact that he has authority. I am the living one. That's a great title, isn't it? I was dead. Yeah, I did die. You were there, John. You know I died. Never forget that. But look, it's almost like he's saying, look at me. Do I look like I'm dead now? No. I'm alive forever and ever. I'll never die again. Jesus rose from the dead not to die again, but to live forever. Uh, there's other people that resurrect. Uh, we read a few of them in the Bible, and it, I'm sure there's been some throughout history. People claim that, this and that. Uh, but typically the idea is that like when Jesus raised Lazarus, Lazarus died again, right? We assume he died again. I actually feel bad for Lazarus. Think about it. He got, was sick, died, went to heaven to glory, and then he has to come back. And then people were against him because, you know, the, the Pharisees were against him. He had to die again. Man, I, that's kind of a rough deal he went through, right? 
like, oh, they really didn't want to come back. Listen, when Jesus died and then he rose, never to die again. I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. In other words, I'm in control. I have power. So Jesus is underrated. So when you think of what he looks like, um, picture him differently. Uh, uh, try to, if, if you're like me, I have to kind of remove those images. Remove the, all the images uh, that come to mind. And I, I like Jesus movies, and the, we understand there's something there, but they, don't get stuck there. We need to remove all of that and try and picture them in a different way. I, I put it in a sentence. This is just me, and I would you know, encourage you to write your own sentence, but I thought if I was to describe what Jesus looks like, he is a glorious being, brilliant, bright, and stunning, beyond human and beyond full description. In other words, he's so bright, we can't even look at him. Like, you can't look at the sun. It's overwhelming. So if I, I picture Jesus, I want to picture it more just like I'm around this brightness, uh, this overwhelming. I'm not just talking to somebody that looks like someone I saw in a movie. It's this amazing glory. Now, he's still human. That's a mystery, right? He's God, but he's human. And the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, too, the Trinity, it's, it's a, a mystery to us. We, we understand part of it. But I would say he's beyond human, not that he's left being human, but he's still human, but he's beyond the regular human experience. He's not limited like we are to one place and one time with a, a body of flesh and blood. No, he's in glory, and he's beyond full description. He's so great, he's so awesome, we can't even fully understand him, right? So, so, so he, he's no pobrecito, he's el patron, el jefe, all right? Think of it that way. That's what he looks like. Let's think about what he's doing, okay? What is he doing? Again, he's not on the cross. It's not like he's a martyr. That part, partly he's like a martyr, but not that. You think of a martyr, someone that died for a cause, and now we, we respect them and we remember what they did, but now it's up to us to carry on their principles. No, 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 that, that's not the whole picture. Well, think about what he's doing now. Let's run through a few. There's a lot we could say. Let me run through a few verses. One, I would say it is he is sustaining everything, Listen to Hebrews 1 says, but in these last days, talking about how God speaks to us, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. So that's the past. He was part of creating everything. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning, John 1, and everything was made through him. So moving on, it says this, the son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. That means the Son is equal with the Father. That, that's who Jesus is. He is the exact rep representation. But look, look at this, present tense. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. He is sustaining all things, everything. That's an astounding claim. Think about it. What the Bible says is that every living thing draws its breath from God. Your next breath is from the grace of God. Even the atheist, from the, their next breath, it's not because they're able to do it on their own. It's because God allows it. Every animal, every fish, every bird, every insect, it lives because God allows it to live. And when its time is up, we can't keep them living. We can't keep ourselves living, right? Every beat of our heart is from the grace of God. Listen, the sun is just the right distance from the earth, 
not because all the countries got together and signed a pact that we would be this far. No, it's because God put it at just the right distance, right? Uh, the air has just the right amount of carbon dioxide and oxygen, not because some institute did a study and decided to adjust it. We can't do that. It's because God said, this is what it will be, and I will give you lungs so that you can breathe it. Listen, the oceans are the way they are. Water works the way it does, and it comes up out of the ground and goes back into the sky and rains on us again, not because we voted and asked for it to be that way, but because God determined it would be that way. Everything is sustained by Jesus. Isn't that amazing? That's an astounding claim. And then he says, after he had provided purification for sins, that's the cross, right? He went through that. So we remember that. That's central to our faith. But don't get stuck there. That's what I'm saying. If you get stuck there, you think, oh, Jesus, poor guy. He suffered. Yes, he did, but he's not suffering now. He's sustaining all things. Like, yeah, remember that, but that's not where he is. After he did that, look at what it says. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So when you think of Jesus now, think of him where he is now, at the right hand of God, in glory, running everything. Wow, that's a long way from the way our culture views Jesus, right? I was thinking of different ways that Jesus is viewed. Let me throw out something that just kind of a cultural small thing, but it can tie in with a view. Uh, let me ask you, anybody go to a Bulls game this year? Anybody? Okay, nobody. Okay, neither did I. Okay. Uh, you, oh, you did go to one. Good, good. Okay. Yeah. They had a pretty good year, actually. I haven't been there for a while, but last time I went, a couple of things stood out to me. One was, wow, these seats are a long way from the court because <laughs> I can't afford the good seats. I was pretty far out there, the 400 level or something. But uh, it's interesting, but when you go to the game, you realize how many timeouts there are, right? Uh, basketball is amazing, uh, amazing athletes. If I could change one thing in, in the NBA, though, I would give them less timeouts. Like, just keep playing. Make it like soccer or hockey. Can you just keep playing, right? Just have substitutes on the fly, like when you're having a pickup game. Uh, but we know that's where they make the money. There's tons of timeouts, like tons of timeouts. And so when you're at the game, you don't see the commercials. So what you see is the cheerleaders all come out and do, the, you know, try to entertain the crowd. And then out comes this interesting figure, Benny the Bull. Familiar with Benny the Bull, right? Actually, I found, I looked it up, he was the first mascot in the NBA. For some reason, that's something to be proud of, I guess. Uh, first one, he's represented the Bulls for decades at all kinds of events. He's the face of the franchise. Uh, he, so he comes out and he does a lot, you know, to entertain fans, takes tons of pictures with people. He's kind of the clown out in the court, and he represents the Bulls. He keeps the crowd a little bit uh, entertained during the timeouts. But when the horn sounds, the cheerleaders all go back to their bench. And Benny the Bull goes off into the crowd to talk to whoever. And the players come out on the court, and it's the 10 players plus the referees that are on the court, right? You know, Benny the Bull has never scored one point for the Bulls in all his years. Never grabbed a rebound, never made an assist because he's the mascot, right? He's a figurehead. He's not really one of the players. Oh, he does his part, but when it's time to play the game, the other players are the players are the ones that really count. In a way, Jesus can be like a mascot for our faith. We wouldn't say that, but I think culture kind of pushes it toward that. Like, he's the face of the church, he's the logo, the brand, but when the horn sounds and it's Monday morning, my starting five is my, my intellect, my experience, my instinct, uh, what other people think about me, what feels good in the moment. I mean, Jesus is the mascot, or the kind of like the good luck charm, but really when I need to rely on people to get things done or rely on something, it's, I rely on myself, probably if I'm like a lot of people. I mean, do I really believe Jesus can be, in a sense, in the game, that he can actually be the main one and that 
I get to be, in a sense, on his team. He's not the mascot. It's actually his team. He's the main one doing everything, okay? So keep that in mind, what he's doing. He's sustaining everything. A couple more. He's building his community, okay? We're talking about what Jesus is doing right now. Matthew uh, 16, 18, famous verse. Jesus says, on this rock, speaking to Peter, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And people would talk about what was Peter's role and debate that. But the main point here is that Jesus is building his church. He is building relationships thousands of years. We're part of it. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is building the church here. Uh, Matthew 18, 20, where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Every time we gather under the authority of Jesus to do his work, he's actually here with us. The Bible says he's the one that causes change. He's the one that can reach into your heart, heal the deepest wounds, uh, give you new desires, uh, take away sin, take away shame. Uh, he can call out different things. He can, in a sense, plant different things, grow different things within you. He can change you in a way that nobody else can. But he uses us to be sometimes the mouthpiece or the listening person, uh, the person showing love. It's not just what happens in a Sunday morning here in a service. It happens also, you know, any meeting, any group we have, any mentoring. But outside of official church gatherings, if we meet in Jesus' name. So when I talk to my brother Julian and we're talking about our, our lives, we're meeting in Jesus' name. And we're believing he's there with us. Uh, listen, if it was just up to us, it wouldn't work out so well. Someone ref uh, sometimes uh, refers to church this way. Someone told me a while ago, and I don't preach too often at Midway, but someone said, oh, the first time I came to Midway, it was your service. You were preaching. And I know what they mean, but I always kind of cringe when they say that because I'm like, I don't want to correct them and sound legalistic, but I'm like, it's not my service. <laughs> if I'm preaching, that's a blessing, that's an honor, but, uh, you know, it's Jesus' service. If it's my service, don't be there, okay? Okay. <laughs> And it's not even really the church's service. I mean, the church has authority. We get that and we understand it. But ultimately, it's the power of God that we need, right? It's the blessing of God. The church is the vehicle. It's the community. But Jesus is active. He is living. And in a Christian church like ours, we're allowing him to do his work and saying, Jesus, you need to build this. We'll do our part. But, oh, Jesus, you do your work because you are all, all in all authority. You have all glory. You can do uh, what needs to be done. You sustain everything. It's Jesus' church. He is building his community. You believe that? It's a beautiful thing, and we get to be a part of it. Next thing, think about this. He's speaking to people. Hebrews 3 talks about hearing the voice of God, and it says, As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Jesus is still speaking, and you can say God is speaking, but he also speaks through Jesus. Hebrews 3 talks about that. The main way probably is through his word. As you read the word of God, you're not just reading a book, but you, you are, if you read with faith, uh, you're also interacting with God. There's something that can happen in your spirit and your soul, and God will speak to you. Jesus will actually, in a sense, highlight certain words, underlying words, give you thoughts uh, that he communicates directly to you. That's an amazing thing. The, uh, God breathes through his word. It's unlike any other book. That's why it's the all-time bestseller. Uh, that's why people will give their lives to get a copy of it. Uh, it brings life. Jesus speaks through the word. So let me remind you, get into the Bible. And also be open to hear his word, uh, hear his voice outside of the word. And, of course, it's in line with the word, and, and we understand that. Uh, but he does speak through other people. He speaks sometimes directly to your heart or your spirit with an impression, a thought. Maybe it's a conviction, a burden, 
uh, something that you need to give up. Maybe it's an encouraging word to continue on. Uh, he speaks to us in different ways. I've heard people say he speaks to us through his word and through his whisper. Right? It's, it's hard to define that or uh, measure that sometimes, but he does speak to us. He's alive. He's not dying on a cross. He's alive. He's speaking to people right now. So listen to him. Listen for him. Um, and he uses us to speak to uh, each other with words from God. I like this saying. I heard God uses crooked, sti crooked sticks to draw straight lines. Isn't that good? He uses crooked sticks. I, I might feel I got some crooked things, but man, he can still use me to draw a line to help someone, right? He can use you too. I hope you believe that. I hope you believe that. He uses crooked sticks, so we qualify, don't we? One more. He is interceding for people. Look at Hebrews 7.25. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Interesting. He's able to save completely. You are forgiven. You give your life to Christ. At some point, you're born again. The Lord comes into you, takes away your sin. He continues to forgive you. He continues to be there for you, to, uh, to represent you before God. Uh, the blood of Christ continues to be effective throughout your whole life. However many times you stumble and fall, however many times you mess up or you feel like a failure, whatever's happened to you in the past and you want to overcome, he continues to intercede for you uh, in a small way. I thought of a, a little thing that reminds me of when we uh, bought a building at our Midway location. We rented for years, and uh, finally we were able to save up money and buy a building. And uh, I learned a lot about Chicago politics. Lived in Chicago a long time, never really had to work the system, but we wanted to get this building, uh, have the zoning change, and that took a little bit. Of, that took a little bit of finagling, you know. And so one of the things that I learned that we've always done since then is try and be friends with the aldermen. That's helpful, right? Uh, be friends with your elected officials, the congressmen. I know some pastors in, in the suburbs. It's the mayor of the suburb that they deal with a lot, and it's important. We respect the authorities, and sometimes we need them to intercede for us or represent us uh, in some meeting or to get something signed off or if there's some question about this, that, or the other. So we always try and get along with them. But there's been a couple times where I was able to get to know someone, get, you know, just represent, just let them know who we are and everything. Of course, the real, the real muscle is that, hey, there's people that go to our church to vote, right? So we try and be nice, but we want to know, yeah, we, we do vote. Um, so just to let them know. And what happens, though, a couple of times is we, we kind of make friends with that person, but then they either retire or they lose an election. And so there's a, there's a new sheriff in town. We got to get to know them, right? So we got to try and get to know this person and convince them that, that we're, we're helpful people, we're good for the community, and we vote, and we want to have a connection with you. So if a neighbor complains or something, that you know who we are, right? So we, we have these, these elected officials, but they, they change over time. They don't last forever, right? Listen, Jesus always lives to intercede for you. He'll never be voted out of office. He'll never retire. He'll never quit. He'll never get overthrown. He will always be there. If you are on his side, you will never lose what you have in him. He always lives to intercede for you. So that's what he's doing right now. So a few pictures. Uh, he's sustaining, building, speaking, interceding. If I had to put it in one sentence, I was thinking this, he, he's reigning and ruling in authority, sustaining the entire universe, communicating to people, and building his church. That's a lot, isn't it? So think about that. Think about the things Jesus is doing. And there's more than that that we can't even name everything today, right? 
one more question. What does he look like? What is he doing? How should we think about it? Here's what I'm saying. If you, the image of Jesus that comes to your mind is this old image on a painting or from a movie, I'm inviting you to, to replace that image, to ask the Lord, show me who you are. Show me who you are. We're never going to fully understand it in this life. 1 Corinthians uh, 13 says, now we see in a mirror dimly. But I'm inviting you to not get locked into an artist's rendition or a movie. Move past that. He's not a hippie-looking guy. He look, doesn't look like some a mystic or some teacher or even some middle-class person. He's beyond that. Have a different view of him. How should we think about him? Let me give you a few more verses. Hebrews 3 says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. So that says we should fix our thoughts on him. But how do we do that? Ephesians 1. Here, here's a secret, something that, that is often overlooked. Paul prays this for these believers. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Look at that phrase, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. We have a heart, and the Bible also uses the word soul kind of interchangeably. Now, we live in a very secular society. It's easy for this to get kind of pushed to the side. American culture is all about what we can see. We're secular, right? So we're very aware of the body, every little thing, right? And it, right in the day of social media, we're even more aware of it. And we can change things with filters, which is helpful, right? But, you know, that's, it's all about the outside. But there's part of us that you can't see. I go to a lot of wakes and funerals. And I often, if it's an open casket, I'll often stand by the casket and I'll say, you know, as we say goodbye to their body, this familiar form, Remember, their, their soul is not being buried. Or if they're cremated, their soul can't be cremated. The soul is eternal. It is immortal. The soul goes on, and the moment they breathe their last breath, the soul was released into eternity. The soul never dies. We get a new body when we die. We don't get a new soul. Our, our soul, we, we enter into eternity with it. So our soul it has a sense of hearing and sight. Our soul, it actually does. Think about what Jesus said. So Paul prays there, the eyes of your heart. He's talking about may you're in your soul, in your heart, in your deepest, innermost self, may you grasp the hope, riches, and calling of the Christian life. It's not just, oh, understand Jesus looks like this or, you know, this color or this picture. No, no, no. He's saying inside there's a sense you need to get. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 13. He actually quotes Isaiah talking about people 700 or so years ago, he says the same thing for them today, and we can say the same thing for us today. He says, for this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. In other words, there's a soul sense. He's saying they have a heart, and their heart has eyes and ears, but they barely hear. Like you could hear a little bit, but just barely. You don't really get it. And they've closed their eyes. They've made a choice to close their eyes and block out reality. If they understood, they could turn and I would heal them. So here's the point. Here's the point as we get ready to wrap up. As you grab a hold of who Jesus is, you need to unlock something in your heart, in your soul. It's not getting a different painting or image or watching another movie. But it's as you come to him and come to him through the word, come to him in worship, Come to him in prayer. Come to him in fellowship. And, and maybe pray something like, Lord, help me see you for who you are. 
Help me understand more of your glory. Help me understand more of your greatness. I want to understand and experience you today. I know what you did in the past. I want to remember that and hold on to it. But I also want to experience you in the presence right now. So as we wrap up, let me invite you to say, Jesus, I don't want to underrate you. I don't want to think too lightly of you. I want to have a better view of you. Let's stand and let's worship. Let's worship this Jesus who's alive. He's here today. He's with us. He's working and moving. As the worship team plays, feel free to worship, sing along, pray there. If you want to come forward and pray, I'd be glad to pray with you and pray that we can get a clearer view of Jesus in our lives. Cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me, I see his wounds, his hands and feet, my Savior on that cursed tree. His body bound. And drenched in tears They laid him down In Joseph's tomb The entrance sealed By heavy stone Messiah still And all alone So we pray
Jesus is there. He's there in the conversation. And that's not to make you feel uptight or formless, to make you feel released, to love one another, encourage one another. He's in the midst of this. We're brothers and sisters. Enjoy the time. It's all in Jesus' name. And so, Lord, we thank you. We can meet in your name. We can, everything we do to your glory, eat and drink and spend time together and enjoy the beautiful weather. So we thank you, Lord. And we acknowledge, Lord, that it is so easy to underrate you in this world. Oh, Lord, open our eyes that we may understand you more. You are all we need. We love you and we trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. Great to meet with you today. Take care.